Hello and welcome to the Euro Trips podcast. Domestic football is back, as are we, as we review all the five leagues going on in Europe and as we approach the final stretch of games towards the end of the year. Uh, I'm your host, Andy, and I'm, as ever, joined by two of our regulars. Uh, so I'm joined this week by Ryan and Naeem. How are you, boys? Doing all good here. Yeah, can't complain. Yeah, good stuff. Are you glad to see club football back after the international friendlies? Yep, did not watch any international football. Took like a little break from football and yeah, it's good to have the club football back, even though the season is nearing to the end, but yeah. And what about you, Ryan? I was until Monday. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know me, I know me Naeem was talking on a private messenger about how we hate, hate, hate having Monday games, but if that's what you were waiting for, then maybe, um, then maybe not. Um, well, we might as well go into that. Let's get, let's go into the Premier League. So, um, obviously, um, in the Premier League, in the last seven days, so the weekend, the week started off on a Saturday lunchtime as Liverpool got a crucial 2 0 win at home to Watford with a goal from Jota and a penalty from Fabinho. Um, before Brighton Norwich played out a 0 0 draw with a badly missed penalty from Neil Mulpai. Um, City um, went back to the top with a 2 0 win over Burnley at Turf Moor with goals from Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gandawan. The shock result of the weekend, though, saw Brentford beat Chelsea 4 1 at Stamford Bridge. Um, Chelsea took the lead, actually, through Antonio Rudiger, who scored a wonderful goal from range. But then it all fell apart. Um, there were two goals from Vitaly Janelt. There was a goal from Vista and a goal from Christian Eriksen, who also, um, is, he didn't get an assist that game, but he's got a great record so far since he's joined the club. Um, Leeds and Southampton drew 1-1, a potentially a crucial point for Leeds, uh, with goals from Jack Harrison and a really good, once again, free kick from James Ward-Prowse. Um in the game at three o'clock, uh, Wolves beat Villa 2-1 uh, with uh, goals from Johnny and an own goal from Ashley Young, as well as a late goal from Ollie Watkins. Before they kick off on Saturday, saw Manu and Leicester draw, uh, play out a 1-1 draw. Uh, the goals came from Kelechi Iheanacho and Fred. Sunday, um, Everton's problems continued. Uh, they were lost 2-1 at home to, oh, sorry, away to, uh, to West Ham. Uh, they took the lead, actually. Um, Sorry, they took West Ham took the lead through Aaron Questwell and then they equalised through Mason Holgate before Jared Bowen scored on his return um, from injury. And then Spurs hammered Newcastle 5-1 in their quest for top four. Um, they actually went behind thanks to Fabian Char goal, but then uh, goals from Son, Matt Doherty, Ben Davis, Stephen Bergwijn and Emma Royale gave Spurs the crucial three points, which were made even more crucial by the following result the next day, as we alluded to, at the start of the podcast, as Crystal Palace won 3-0 at home to Arsenal. Uh, the goals came from Jordan Ayew, Wilfred Zaha and Mateta. And then even more crucial in terms of the bottom half of the table, saw a huge six-pointer win for Burnley as they beat Everton 3-2. Um, the goals from Burnley came from Nathan Collins, Jay Rodriguez and Max Corner, who got the winner towards the end. But Everton did take the lead. They went 1-0 down. They took a 2-1 lead with two penalty from McCarlson, who seems the only player actually willing to give effort for Everton at the moment. Um, which leaves the Premier League in sort of a very exciting end-to-the-season prospect here. You've got, obviously, the big game on the weekend between Liverpool and Man City, which is between the, between the top two, which may well decide the title or go a long way to doing that. But on top four, of course, I mentioned Spurs and Arsenal. Um, there is now... No point separating Spurs and Arsenal in fourth and fifth, but there is a game in hand for Arsenal as well. And of course, their fixture has been rearranged with Spurs um, on May the 12th. So, sort of crucial time of the year, they'll be having 
a crucial game there. Uh, West Ham are three points behind, but they played two games more than Arsenal. Uh, Man U got the same points. They played uh, just a game more than Arsenal. So, and even Wolves have got uh, uh, just two points behind Man U as well. So it's it's probably will be one of Spurs and Arsenal with how the season's gone, how recent form's going. But don't knock out these teams as well. And then at the bottom, um, it's looking like game over for Norwich, down 18 points, um, and they're one to seven points from safety with only eight games left. And then otherwise, Watford on 22 points with 30 games played. Burnley are now on uh, 24 points with train um, with 29 games played. And then Everton are worryingly with the same game played, only a point above Burnley with Leeds five points ahead. So I think Leeds seem to be pushing further, further away from um, worry. Same as Newcastle and Brentford. But I think that game was so crucial. I think if Everton won that game, I think for me it would have been probably them edging towards safety. I think that would have been such a huge six point, uh, three points for them. But now they've done that with their running as well. Their running is something else. I'm going to get get it up for you now. So they they played Burnley on the last night, and then they play Man U at home on the Saturday. Then their next lot of games is Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester again. Watford, Brentford, Palace, Arsenal. I mean, that is quite the schedule. I must admit, that is... I just can't see where... I can see them getting maybe seven or eight points from that, but there's a lot of teams, a lot of big teams are playing there. And I, I do really fear for Everton uh, that they, they this could be the time they go down. I mean, looking at Burnley's figures, their, rival, their rivals, they got Norwich next. That's probably a three points, if not at least a point. They got West Ham, Southampton, Wolves, Watford, Burnley, so Aston Villa, Tottenham, Aston Villa again and Newcastle. So Burnley's fixture schedule is much easier on paper than Everton's. And I think that, you know, they are one of the teams that have never been relegated. They've been around for a long time there. They've won nine league titles. They really should have been, if it wasn't for teams being banned from Europe, I think they would have maybe even won a European Cup along the way. That's such a big club. And I think that just like Aston Villa five, six, seven years ago, whenever it was, uh, the year they went down, I think it just proved that no one is too good to go down. I mean, Man, you probably are, and say with other teams like, you know, teams top right now because they're so big into the stature, but you just never know, like with how money's gone recently in the game and how a lot of these big clubs, like, you know, you've seen Wigan have problems, you've seen Sheffield Wednesday, you've seen Berry go under. So I think, and Everton's problems financially, I think, are even more worrying because they... They will probably lose these players like Ricardson, Jordan Pickford, Decore, Calvert Lewin, even though he's been in bad form. Um, all these players are going to go, and I think what he, what they're going to be left with for me is just going to be absolute scraps of the players they've got. That you know, Mason Holgate has been terrible. He'll be, he'll be there. Ben Godfrey the same thing. You know, Mikalenko will probably stay. But I, th- I just I think with their money, they're going to have to sell players to sort of balance books, and I just think that. If they go down, I think, I'm not saying it's going to be like Sunderland, but I think there's definitely a fear that they won't go straight back up. And a lot of these teams, if they don't go straight back up after going down, it's all Derby roll the dice, look what's happened to them. And I, I just fear for Everton that they're going to they're going to go down. So I think it's really worrying times for Everton. Um, and of course, this leads to a question about, uh, do you think Lampard will even stay the season? I mean, I personally feel that Lampard, will get sacked at some point. If it gets worse, I think they'll they'll go for Duncan Ferguson. I think they should go for Duncan Ferguson. I think they should have gone for him anyway. I think he's done a not bad job when, it, when he's, both times he's been interim manager. And I think, you know, if they want someone to try and study the chip and try and galvanise the players, there's no one, firstly, more scary, but also there's no one who knows the club more than Duncan Ferguson. So so this all begs the question for me. I want to get your boys' thoughts on this, um, about this whole Everton situation, about 
Um, I'll go to you first, Naeem. Um, how big would this be for you um, if, for, for English football history, how big would this be if they were to go down? It would be quite, quite, uh, quite big because obviously they have, they've never been relegated from the Premier League when it's obviously been in, in its form, current form now. So it would, it would be quite, it would be quite a shock. But you know, they've not, they've not really been going in the right direction. At, well, I'll say last year or so. I know they, they had Rafa Benitez in there. He wasn't really backed. Um, obviously, he got sacked in the end. Carlo Ancelotti thought he would have been there for a while, but. They they were on the up with him, but it, uh, there wasn't too too much of a change, and obviously he's gone now. But I think they're they're a team in free fall. You know, the the signings over the years have been shocking. They've they've they've, just, they've just spent so much money on crap, really. So it would be a shame to see them go down, but they can't really blame anyone but themselves, really. Um, and yeah. This, it's, bringing the Lampard in was was a stupid choice, really. Like you said, they should have just given it to Duncan Ferguson because he's he's been there for a good while, you know. He's been interim interim one or two times before, so they they should have given it to him, really, because you know he knows Everton through and through. And Lampard's as a player has never been in a relegation fight, and as a manager, he's not uh, been at any teams that have been in a relegation dog fight. So yeah, they've only got themselves to blame and. It'll be sad to see them go, but you know, it is what it is, really. Um, it's part of football, really. You're, you're never too big to go down, as they say. So, the yeah, end. I mean, look, looking at Everton's history, they've won nine first division titles, they've won five FA Cups, they've won nine charity shields, they've twice been winners up in the League Cup, um, and they've also um, also won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 84 85. Uh, actually, didn't do the double that year if you include the league as well. Um, but looking at the signings, the last this is where the issues come. I think for them is that the, the signings they've they've made in the last few years. I mean, this year I think was a big worrying sign. The fact that uh, until well, they, until they bought Mikalenko for twenty one million, they you know they bought Daddy Ali for forty million. But then the the summer transfer window they had, they bought Townsend, Begovic, um, all for like very little fees. Demar Gray the same thing. He's only one point eight million. I think both Gray and Begovic were actually free. And then the year before that, they signed Godfrey for 24 million. That looks really bad looking back at that now. <laughs> Allen's was a good signing, 21 million, fair enough. But they bought um, Decoray for 19 million. They bought Nielsen Cuckoo for, looks like here, 243,000. They, um, they bought Hamas Rodriguez, who's already was with there long. They bought Josh King. Uh, you know, they got rid of some other players like that. But then, and then the year before that, they spent 27 million on Alex Awobi, 24 million on Moise Keane, who didn't seem to do that well. 20 million on Andre Gomez. Uh, they bought Delve, and um, that's it. And then the year before that, as well, looking at 1819, they bought Ricardson for 35 million, um, 27 million for Mina, 18 million for Digney. Um, and then in terms of 1718, they bought Sigerson for 44 million pounds, Michael Key for 25 million, Jordan Pickford for 25.65, Davy Klassen for 24.3 million, Nikola Vlasic for 9.72, they bought Walcott. For 20 million, saying Cheng Toshin for the same price. I mean, they've bought a lot of players for a lot of money. And I know, and obviously, you know, some one of those players is not playing for other reasons, but I think he's done all right. But I think most people, most of these players have not done that well. Michael Keane has proved to be a terrible signing, really. I mean, he was good at Burnley, but the money they paid for him, oh, it's not really good. So, yeah, I do fear for Everton. I mean, I know I've got 
family links to Everton and stuff like that. And I know I shouldn't really, I mean, I shouldn't really be enjoying this. But with Man U doing bad as well, it's, it's a good time to be a Liverpool fan, I must say. Um, but yeah, I think that, we'll go, we'll go to you now, Ryan. Um, in terms of this, does this make you feel, well, both of you actually, as Arsenal fans, does this sort of, the way Everton have really mishandled the club and mishandled their transfers and the, everything around the board, does this give you sort of, the, uh, sort of does this, this, this um, excite you? The fact that obviously the Arsenal board seems to do a lot better with France, is this more exciting for you guys to show that you've actually done quite well in comparison to what they've done at Everton? For me, it, from the outside point of view, it looks to me like Arsenal, you know, are, are doing things the right way in the boardroom with, with Edu and uh, people like that. So does Everton's mishandlings give you confidence about the way Things been dealt with Arsenal at the moment. Um, yes and no. I'd say, obviously against Palace, you know Tierney's out for the rest of the season. Party's out for a while, so it looks like we're gonna have to play Tavares there. You know, we didn't buy anyone in January, and it it's coming to the crunch time now, so that might come back to bite us in our like attempts to get top four. So we've done a good job so far, but I'm still reserved on Edu to be fair because. You know, didn't buy no one in January. You know, we, we, our squad is when we get one or two injuries, our squad is pretty thin. So I know, I know they'll say that there was no one to buy in January, but you can you can always loan someone. There's always someone out there to buy or loan. So shout out Luis Diaz for that in that, in that section. Well, there you go. See, um, <laughs> and then I've seen that you've also um, is it Fabio Carvalho. I think he's coming in the summer. As yeah, well. I think it's for Peanuts like, as well. It's all... I mean, it was all but certain last summer. I think it was just too late in the day. Mm. Um, but look at your business. Your business has been... I mean, I know you got Ben White for a lot of money, but Udegaard with 31 million, he's been fairly good. Ramsdale was 25 million. That looks an absolute steal at 25 million. Tommy Asu was 16. You know, Tavares is only 7 million. So I think you have signed well, and I think that you aren't doing what you used to do, I think, just buying players just for sake of it or buying these Chelsea rejects that you have done in the past. I think... It's going to take a long rebuild. I think you guys is not going to be sending overnight. It's going to be a long rebuild. But I think, you know, I think basically it'll be like what well, we had to do. We had to buy these players that end up being gems. We had to buy players from like Southampton, like Mane and stuff. And obviously he turned out to be way better than expected. Same as Robertson buying him from Hull. I think you just have to hope that one of these players do pull off. And that's, I think that's the way you're going to have to go about it. I think you've tried that model of just buying anyone and it hasn't worked out. So the next thing we're going to focus on is all events going on in Germany. So, Jonathan isn't here, but he has sent us a soundbite with his thoughts on the last seven days with the Bundesliga back in action. Bundesliga started out last week with Union Berlin versus Cologne. Union took home a 1-0 victory with a Taiwo Awani goal. Great to see him back on the score sheet. He has been linked to a few clubs in the Premier League. You know, he's on Liverpool, on their books for such a long time. We'll see if a transfer happens this summer, but great to see him back on the score sheet. Armenia Bielefeld tied with Stuttgart 1-1 in a major relegation battle. Uh, Sasha Kalaj just had a penalty for Stuttgart. Looks like he will be missing some time as well. They're going to have to do some reshuffling up front to try and find a new number nine. Um, but it's, it's not looking great for either of these two sides, especially with Augsburg now having won a couple of games in a row. You know, Hertha has a few winnable games coming up as well against some lower lower sides in the table. You know, Armenia and Stuttgart really need to start getting worried about the possibility of them both going down um, come May. 
Bochum beat Hoffenheim 2-1 in a major surprise, and Bochum continue to slowly rise up the table further and further away from that Bundesliga relegation trouble. Hoffenheim needed at least a point here. You know, they have some small hopes left of securing that fourth Champions League spot. Um, it looks like them and Freiburg are really gunning for the Europa League now, but a 2-1 loss to Bochum um, is not good for a side that should be should be getting three points against a Bochum side that still have a bunch of second division players on it. But they're surprising everybody, it seems, almost on a weekly basis. Um, and yeah, Bochum are going to keep on pushing to the top and we'll see them again next season. Of course, one of the bigger games of this past weekend was Bayern versus Freiburg. It was at Freiburg, um, a major game for the side as it was a full stadium back for Freiburg and you know they've been playing very well lately and a lot of people felt like they could actually put up a real fight against Bayern which was not really the case. Bayern ended up taking home the victory 4-1. Goretzka, Gnabry, Coman and Marcel Sabitzer finally got his name added to the score sheet as well. Um, Nils Peterson scored as a sub. It's just unbelievable every time he gets subs on, he immediately seems to score. But yeah, all of Bayern's goals came in the second half. And it was an interesting moment actually happened in that second half where they had 12 players on the field for a second. Uh, Bayern didn't notice that they had 12 players. The ref didn't seem to notice. It took about 18 or so seconds. And Freiburg actually filed a complaint with the DFB about this. Nagelsmann got super upset. He didn't feel like this was right. Maybe I'm coming from a biased point of view, but I didn't see anything wrong with it. I mean, you played while it was for a short period of time. Of course, Freiburg were going to score during these 18 or so seconds, but, you know, at least say to the DFB, hey, something illegal happened during this match. And if you actually read the Freiburg statement, if Nagelsmann were to have read it, you know, they knew that they weren't actually going to get any points from this. They knew that the changes were unlikely to happen, but they just wanted to let the DFB know of what happened. And I think it's fair to say that filing a report um, is perfectly fine. And the Bayern outcry toward this, I felt, was a little much. But they still won. Big second half performance. Somewhat surprising for Lewandowski not to score or to add some sort of major moment to the game. But... Another win for them as they go further and further ahead of Dortmund, who got crushed at home against Leipzig. Daniel Malin had the only goal in the 84th minute for them, a meaningless goal. And for Leipzig, Konrad Leimer and Kunku and Olmo all scored. Uh, Leimer's been playing so well lately. He's been joining Kunku as some of the most informed players in the league. And of course, now that he's been playing well, he's been linked to Man United, who... Seem to have been linked to most, if not all, informed Leipzig players this season or most informed players in the world as United. Um, you know, I've never seen a club be so unable to make up their mind about which players they truly want. But a bad loss for Dortmund, you know, this really puts the nail in the coffin if they had any hopes left of challenging for that title. And Leipzig continue to roll ever since they made that coaching change um, away from Jesse March. Um, they've been really turning up the gears and, and they look set to get back into the Champions League. Augsburg played a couple of games in the last week. Their first one was last week against Wolfsburg where they won 3-0. Uh, 
Uh, major win. Niederlechner scored. Peterson scored. Only Peterson's second goal, I believe, in the Bundesliga from the left back. But that's a big, big, compelling, very strong win against Wolfsburg, who, you know, are not completely out of the relegation battle themselves. Um, and then Augsburg also played again due to a makeup game for COVID against Mainz, and they won 2 1 on Wednesday. Another big, big win for them. Ruben Vargas, um, probably the most creative player in Augsburg, you know, had a nice goal there in the 56th minute, and they were able to claim that as the winner in response right after to a Mainz goal. And Ricardo Pepe, the American who came over in the winter, is still looking for his first contribution to the team he's been getting close but Augsburg's a couple of big wins for them there and I still think that they're an extremely boring side so you know now that's looking like they're going to stay up it's another year of me watching Augsburg which you know I'm gonna have to suffer through but could be worse I guess at least Firth will be going down but they did tie to Frankfurt this week Firth Frankfurt seem to be only showing up in the Europa League right now but a second straight tie for Firth in a nil-nil affair, um, but that's meaningless to them. They'll be going down without a question. And finally, Mainz tied with Gladbach. Gladbach, again, can't seem to not tie a football game this year, and Mainz hasn't been playing too well recently, and, and just a mediocre tie and below scored for Gladbach, but you know, I think at the end of the day, they'll, they'll do enough to stay up, but it's just sort of sad. You, f- you really have this feeling that a lot of players from Gladbach are going to be gone in the summer. You also have that sense that Adi Hooter won't stay along for stay, stay around for long. So you could see Embolo, maybe Playa. Who knows if Jonas Hoffman will end up leaving. Um, but you could see some major change happening with Gladbach as this season has been that much of a major disappointment. So that pretty much rounds up from the Bundesliga this past weekend. Uh, Europa League, Frankfurt tied with Barcelona. Uh, pretty pretty impressive performance. Engzer Knauf definitely pronounced that wrong. He came over from Dortmund as a low knee. He had an unbelievable rocket of a strike um, slotting in. And it's just, a, it's just a superb goal. And then they let one in a sort of a ticky-tacky um, ticky-tack, <laughs> you know what I mean, but um, a really, really well-played goal by Barcelona and, and Javi, and I do think Barcelona will nip on when it comes to camp now, next week, but um, big performance from Frankfurt, especially just to get a tie against a Barcelona team that is so in form at the moment. Leipzig tied with Antalanta. I thought more goals would occur whenever... Two sides like Antalanta and Leipzig come together. You feel like it's going to be 3-4 or 4-3 or some sort of scoreline like that. But um, Leipzig have an excellent chance of advancing um, when it comes to Germany next time. In the Bundesliga, Bayern put in not a great performance um, against Villarreal. They actually lost 1-0 in the first leg. But I really wouldn't look much into it. You know, Everybody was saying after the Salzburg game when it was... One one that you know Salzburg was gonna nip them. They're gonna get them in the end. It's gonna be a major surprise. People will probably say the same thing after this contest as well. I highly doubt that. Um, there's a chance Bayern were just paid to lose this game to make it more interesting. Um, no, it's just a joke. They definitely weren't. But I could easily see them when it comes back to the Allianz 
4-1, something along that for the scoreline. I think they will absolutely destroy Villarreal. And Nagelsmann will figure out what tactics didn't work and what tactics they will implement. Um, but speaking of some Bayern transfers, it looks like they're very close to completing a few summer moves already. Uh, Masraoui, a right back uh, from Ajax, is, looks to be coming over as well as, I'm going to call him Gravy, but Gravenberg, Ryan Gravenberg, that I as well definitely pronounced incorrectly. I feel like Andy at the moment. I'm just pronouncing things terribly today. But it looks like they're going to be doing a little double, a little double move from Ajax with a little midfield and right back help. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Benjamin Pavard, who is currently slotted into that right back spot. If they move into a back three, what will happen with Upa Meccano, who's been really up and down this year? Um, will Hernandez sort of go to that left center back spot and then have Upa Meccano in there? And then Benjamin Pavard sort of moves back to that right center back um, with Alfonso Davies and Masraoui playing higher up on the wings. Um, but, you know, Bayern, again, don't like to pay more than 50, 60 million for any of these big time signings. And, and it looks like both of these guys would be in that sort of 25 to 35 million euro range, um, which is exactly what they look for when they're doing their transfers. Um, not much else going on in the Bundesliga transfer wise. Um, another big weekend this weekend as we get closer and closer to the end of the season. Nico Schlotterbeck continues to be the name that gets brought up, and I just saw a report that he was linked to Tottenham as well, which is um, where it seems like dreams go to die. So hopefully he doesn't end up there, especially from a Freiburg's fan, fan perspective. And for games this weekend, I'd say two of the biggest games will be Frankfurt against that Freiburg team, as well as Leipzig against Hoffenheim, and a couple of major, major battles for Europa League and Champions League qualification. Well, that's it for this week in the Bundesliga, and I'll see you guys very soon. And thank you, Jonathan, for that soundbite. Um, our next thing we're going to focus on is going to be all events happening in La Liga. So we'll go back to you, Naeem. Uh, what's been happening in the last seven days in Spanish football? So yeah, after the international break, fin- we finally got league football back. So kicking off this weekend was Getafe. They took on Mallorca. Funny enough, in the first half, uh, there was eight cards, four for each team. In the second half, Getafe were awarded a penalty because Franco Russo ham- handled the ball in the box. He got his second yellow after receiving a yellow in the first half. Uh, Enes Unal, he's, his penalty was subsequently saved by the goalkeeper. But uh, Borja Mayoral, he scored in the 82nd minute to give them a narrow 1-0 win. The second game of the weekend saw Levante take on Villarreal. Funny enough, Levante got their another win this season against Villarreal. Both goals coming from Jose Luis Morales. Before the international break, Villarreal did lose to Cadiz. So that's the last two games they've lost to teams in the bottom three. I think they were had one eye on their game yesterday against Bayern Munich, which I will get to later on. Celta Vigo, they took on Real Madrid. Where Real Madrid were awarded three penalties in the game. Benzema did score two out of the three and they ended up winning 2 1. Nolito got the goal for Celta Vigo. Atletico Madrid, they took on Deportivo, who are now rock bottom. Uh, two goals from Jao Felix and two goals from Luis Suarez secured the 4 1 win against them, who, and they are now f- 
unbeaten in the last five games, Atletico Madrid. Athletic Club, they took on Elche and they recorded a 2-1 win. Granada, they drew 2-2 with Rayo Vallecano, who are still in a bit of bad form at the moment. Valencia, they took on Cadiz and they played out a drab 0-0 draw. Barcelona took on Sevilla in a late game on Sunday. Sevilla's terrible away record so far this season. They haven't won in the last six away games. They lost 1-0 to Barcelona with a well-taken goal from Pedri. And the last game of the weekend was on Monday. Saw Real Sociedad take on Espanyol. And Real Sociedad won 1-0 thanks to an Alexander Isak penalty in the 96th minute. So, looking at the table now, uh, the bottom three, like I said, Deportivo are now rock bottom as they have a worse goal difference than Levante, who are on the same points as them on 22 points. Mallorca, they're on 26 points, but they haven't won in the last five games. So, a bit, bit, bit of pressure on them at the moment. In 17th place is Cadiz, they're on 28 points. So, your uh, card two points from safety and the last two teams are six points from safety top six is real sociedad with 51 points real betis are fifth on 53 points uh in fourth place is sevilla who they've dropped down now to uh, fourth place after they have won in the last four games they're on 57 points Atletico Madrid on 57 points also, as well as second place Barcelona, but Barcelona got a better goal difference and they've been in great form this year. They still haven't uh, lost a game in 2022 under Xavi, so they're doing well. And obviously still at the top, 12 points clear is Real Madrid um, on 69 points, having played a game more. So if Barcelona win their game in hand, they'll be nine points behind, but I can't can't see them getting that, that point gap down. So... It looks like Real Madrid will be set to win the league, but the gap might be a bit smaller. So going on to the European games, this week saw the first game was obviously Man City. They took on Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid do what they do best, try to play for a nil-nil draw away from home and beat them at the Wanda Melecano. De Bruyne have scored the only goal of the game. It wasn't a game I watched because Atletico Madrid in Europe, uh, they, they, they're so defensive. It's just not a good game to watch. So, yeah, I saw the... Um, sorry to interrupt you. I did see the... Cause I was watching the other game for obvious reasons. And um, <laughs> I, I saw I saw the... Firstly, the heat map, which is incredible to see. But also, there was a one point in the game where it looked like they, it was doing a 5-5 formation. It was... Just, <laughs> and I saw the stats. It was like... 15 shots and two on target for City and like zero shots on target for Atletico Madrid. It was, um, it did sound like a proper Simeone kind of game. And I think it sounds like in the end that City managed to get a breakthrough and he probably killed all of his plans. But I do think still in that second leg, they could be a, they could be a, um, a dangerous, I don't think it's still dangerous for City. I think, I think they'll still win. I thought, I still think they'll win the whole tournament, but mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be a hard game with only a one nil lead. At Atletico, if Atletico get a goal early in that game, they're going to have to go for it at some point. If they get a goal early in that game, I can see them easily just doing what they do normally and just completely um, just, 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 just killing off any City attack. But yeah, so yeah, carrying on. Um, 
Villarreal they took on Bayern Munich. They won one 0 thanks to Dan Juma. They did have they did score a second goal, but it was ruled off for offside as Coquelin was offside before the ball was played to him. Um, it was a good it was a good well taken goal, but it looked more of a cross. So I, I don't think he meant that. And then in the game yesterday, Chelsea lost three one to Real Madrid. Benzema scoring a hat trick. Uh, two good goals, and then the third one was a bad mistake between uh, Mendy and Rudiger. And going into the Europa League, there's only one more Spanish team in that. Uh, Barcelona take on Eintracht Frankfurt at 8 o'clock. And yeah, that's a quick little roundup of what's been happening in Spain and in Europe with the Spanish teams. Yeah, I mean, I have to mention that that Madrid win, uh, the 2-0 win against Chelsea, the 3-1 win against Chelsea, mm. I mean... The two goals from Benzema, I mean, I praised him on his podcast before. Regular, regular listeners will know exactly my thoughts on Benzema. And those two headers he scored were just absolutely incredible, especially the second one. They were just out of this world. And I think that, you know, I think that we've men- I mentioned before about him being quite underrated. And I think that people were starting to take notice. But I think this game, I think this game in particular has, I think, put the whole world on notice to actually how, ben- how good he is. I think the whole world now knows how good Benzema is. He scored two goals, such a, such a, or three goals, but two great goals in such a big game. I think Madrid, I think they're definitely a team to look out for. I think as long as they have Benzema, you know, mm. they proved it when they lost to Barcelona in a 4-0 without him. I think as long as they haven't have, have, have him in the team, I think that, you know, whether they play Atletico, whether they play Matati in the semi-final, I think that it'll be really interesting how he does against those players. And I think it's going to be really good to see how he turns out. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I think... Can't knock out Ancelotti's experience. He's got the experience of winning Champions League time and time again. And yeah, I think that it's um, exciting times for Real. So, our final league today is all things happening in Italy in one of the most exciting title races in Europe at the moment. Um, although one team's got a disastrous new kit, which I am not a fan of. Um, so, Ryan, what's been happening in the last seven days in Italy? that kit you mentioned Milan's yeah that is I don't know what I don't know what possess on I, I I get I get it's different and all that but just me it looks like an absolute car crash for me personally no I like it do you like it I I yeah. think it's more having the white on that kit with the white on the shorts I think maybe if I was black shorts or red shorts maybe then it'd be a bit more nice but I think it just looks like someone's like you spilt milk over the shirt it's <laughs> I don't know what to make of it it's just like it does me. I I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm always been a guy who's like simple kits. I'm more like um, I've always been more of them. But I do like some kits that are different. But for me, I just don't personally like. I think there's too much of that white going on for me personally. But then again, it is something no one's done before. So I think in that sense, it's probably good in terms of a market market point of view in terms of the um, you know. Yeah, like I mean, people are going to buy it maybe because it's not it's so different to everything else. They're gonna you know they're gonna buy it for that reason. Yeah, to be fair, it's it's one of them. It's a four. It's, it's, it's a fourth kit at the end of the day. It's probably going to be worn. Oh, it's once a fourth. Or twice. I thought it was their new home kit. I thought it was their one. For no. Oh, I see. No, okay. it's just a fourth extra kit. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we started off the Serie A weekend with a battle of the relegation friend sides as Spezia beat Venezia one 0 thanks to a ninety fourth minute winner from Giassi. Meaning Spezia now. Virtually safe in 15th. Later that day, we had Lazio. They took home the three points with a 2-1 win at home over Sassuolo with Torino, who 
also added to Salernitana's woes with a 1-0 away win. On Sunday, where we saw the majority of the games, we saw wins for Fiorentina, Roma, uh, the title challengers Napoli, as well as Udinese, who smashed Cagliari 5-1, with Nahul Melina scoring an outrageous chip. YouTube it, it's worth watching. Um, the big one of the weekend, though, obviously, was Juve against Inter in the Derby d'Italia, with Hakan and Chalanoglu netting a first-half penalty to seal the points for the Nezazuri. And on Monday night, we saw the last of the title protagonists take on Bologna as Milan dropped points, meaning if if Inter Milan win that game in hand, which they've still yet to play, there will be just one point separating both Milan clubs and Napoli, which is just unreal with seven games left to play. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to call because none of them look you know, dominant at the moment. They all look like they can slip up, that they can concede goals, that they potentially cannot see games out. So, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one. Napoli definitely had the best one of the weekend away to Atalanta, obviously, which is a very difficult place to go. And uh, to pick points up there was a massive boost for their chances. In terms of the other parts of the table, I mean, Juve, they've got a five-point cushion at the moment over Roma and fifth, but any potential slip-ups from them could allow one of Roma, Lazio, Fiorentino or Atalanta themselves to nick that last Champions League place, which... It was obviously worth so much money, especially in Serie A. Uh, down at the bottom, I mean, Salernitana, they're pretty much down. They've, they've been down for a long time, even though they have a couple of games in hand. They just don't look like they're going to win any of them. Genoa and Venezia, they could both be heading that way. But, I mean, Cagliari, they are not safe by any stretch of the imagination. They're only three points above the top, uh, the bottom three, I should say. But obviously, Venezia, they have a game in hand, so if they win that, they level on points. So it's all still to play for with just seven games left to go. And I'm sure there will be a lot of movement yet. Yeah, and I think that for me personally, I'm at, I'm at a point now where if there's, I mean, I love the Premier League as much as anyone else, but I think for me, if I see a game on TV that's got no bearing towards top or bottom, which probably won't be on Sky with seven games left. But if there is a case where the game's either done or even there's no games on in the first place, I'm definitely going to tune into Serie A. If I see these teams, the likes of Inter, uh, Inter AC or Napoli, if, if I see them involved, I'm definitely going to tune in because that sounds, to have one point between three teams potentially is something I've never seen really in any type of race. Um, you know, so you see a lot of ones with two teams involved on the last day and sometimes teams will wave away with seven games left. But I think to be so close to each other, that is something else. That is something else. Um I actually want to finish on a bit of a quiz for you both. Um, a fact I saw, which I don't know whether you guys actually, you may have already seen this, but um, before, before we do that, actually, um, we mentioned Atalanta. They're currently, I believe, unless it's changed in the last two minutes, they're currently beating Leipzig 1-0 in the Europa. Oh, it's 1-1 now. It's 1-1. So, Luis Muriel got the opener of 17 minutes gone, and then it sounds like it's just happened in the last five minutes. Um, an equaliser from Willy Orban in the 58th minute. Uh, means that that game's definitely on, on a tightrope. Uh, but the quiz, I wanted to end on a quiz. Um, so, um, Sergio Guerrero scored against all but one of the Premier League teams he faced during his illustrious nine-tenure spell at the club. 
which is the only English team that he did not score against when he played them. Ooh. I'll give it's you a clue that helps. They're not in a Premier League company. Okay. I'm going to guess... Let me say Fulham. Yeah, I was going to say that. Right, so someone, someone, someone give me a second one just for a little bit of... Uh, who, else is, who else is in um, Cardiff? Cardiff. Well, you're both wrong. He has scored against both. For the one team he's not scored against, they currently sit in League One. They were a Premier League mainstay for many, many a year, including European football at, at times, under Big Sam. Bolton Wanderers are the only oh, team wow. he's never scored against. Um, so, of course, they were relegated, I believe, the year he joined, or the first, first season was the one he went down in. And they actually played in the, I think it was a 4 2 or 3 1. It was a really exciting early season game. And he didn't score against them. And that's apparently the only team he's not scored against, which is, I think that shows that shows me how good he was. I mean, he played for 10 years with a lot of teams going up and down. I mean, teams that, you know, like Huddersfield were there for two years, Cardiff were there on and off for a few years. And for him to score against at least, every, at least one of these teams, I think it just shows to me um, how good he was, which makes the comments from Conte in the last two hours even more weird um, with him calling Harry Kane one of the best strikers in history. I mean, I will say he's he has a, he has a chance. I think he's definitely on pace to beat Shearer's record if he carries on what he's doing. I do think he's definitely, in terms of Spurs history, and I think maybe even Premier League history, um, but I think if you look at all these big strikers over the years, we've mentioned Aguero, obviously you've got Current players like Lewandowski and Benzema, you've had all players like Henri, Shearer, Van Nistelrooy, uh, even Torres, and all, all these players like that. And I think that I think he's definitely one of the best, but I think he's definitely not the best in history. But I think he's definitely he will go down as. The I different think... difference is that all these other great strikers took their teams to another level and won trophies with mm-hmm. them, and he hasn't done that. Yeah, you know, many um, goals as he scored and as many assists as he scored. I mean, we can't use the old excuse of whether he hadn't had the players around him because he has had the players around him. The, mm. lo- the likes of Son, um, Bale when he was there. I mean, I don't know if they were in the same team. No, they, I think he joined after Bale. But, yeah, after, but, but, yeah. but I mean, even so, they've had some they've had some really good players around him over the years, and the fact is, he he hasn't taken them to to a trophy, and at the moment. I don't see where he wins one because unless he makes that move to Man City in the summer, which I don't think many are anticipating sort of happening. Um, I don't know. You know, he's going to remain, if he remains at Spurs, I don't see where he wins anything Mm. personally because I don't believe Conte is a long-term appointment for the football club and there are not that many, you know, top managers out there available at the moment. So for me... His his summer this year is is crucial. Yeah, and I do think that if I think for me, I think they're going to get Haaland. I, I do think that if they can't get him for some reason, I still think he would be a good player because yeah, he has his the second half of the season. He's been really good. He's been spectacular since the turn of the year, or well, pretty much since Conte's turned uh, arrived. Really, especially the last two three months, he has been really good. I think ever since that Spurs they won against Man City, he seems to have upped his game a lot. Um, I will say I think that my only thing of him that if he's a player who he was he has been the last two years and he was in that team 
that came second under, under Poch. I do think that maybe that was two or three years too early for him. That sort of because that team was the best they've ever had. That one, Yama, Carl Walker, Vertonghen, Alderweire, all, uh, all these players they had at the time. And I do think that that was probably him. Maybe too early in his career. I think maybe because obviously I think Jose definitely developed his game to be a sort of all-round player. If you look at his passing ability now, so I think maybe if he's in that team, the player is now back then. Maybe then, but. This is the issue, of course, I think he had was that the, he, he can't win because I think everyone would have called him a snake if he'd gone to City. Everyone would have called him a traitor. Uh, but then the way it's going, if he, if he stays in Spurs all his career, the whole narrative on his, on his career is going to be, well, he didn't win any trophies. That's because I think he can't win. He can't win, Harry Kane. So I think that I would probably okay. say he's probably in the top 20 or 30 strikers of all time in history. And I think he's probably in the top 10, maybe even top seven Premier League strikers of all time. I think the goals he scored, I think that... Um, but no, I, I think, personally, if he joined Man City, he'd have won trophy after trophy. So I think he must love the club, or maybe just... I don't know, but... Um, For yeah, me, I just... I, so, sorry, but I, I just think it's, it's, it's nice scoring all these goals. And fair enough, he's got them into the Champions League and they got to a final and all this other stuff. But scoring all those goals with nothing to show for it, for me, then becomes irrelevant because you know you could say yeah he's you know he he was a great goal scorer and he's one of the best but he still he still isn't above a lot of other top Premier League strikers in my opinion. Um, I, I but know. I don't I don't agree with I don't agree with him being in a in, in a in a in a tough situation because obviously Manchester City are not they're not a local rival to Spurs. They're not written. Spurs are not title challengers, so they're not exactly a title rival either. So he's making that next step almost similar to how they're not on the same level. But when Adi Bayor left Arsenal for Man City, you know, when when we lost the likes of Nasri and people like that to Man City, it's a similar situation to that. And the fact is, although the Arsenal fans hated those players, no one, no other fans did. Really, no. So it's only it's only Spurs fans that are going to be upset with him. Yeah, I don't, well, that either. I mean, yeah, he, I think he is a Spurs fan as a kid. He has got his whole family of Spurs fans. You know, I think there's a whole battle of you know it's a club that he's grown up at, um, and I think it's just uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I I think personally Kane should have moved. I think because I think he saw Greedish. We saw Greedish move there. Um, he talked about how he, he left because he wanted to play. He couldn't turn down playing for Pep. And I think, I mean, maybe Kane wanted to, maybe leave you as being a bit a bit sneaky behind the scenes. But I, I, I do think that he should have made a move because at the end of the day, I just don't, I don't see that, what more he could have done though, yeah, really. Exactly. And I think that, I will say about your point, I don't think he, he'll be irrelevant because Matt Letizia, he won that thing and everyone remembers him as being this great, great striker. So I Not think, at the moment. Not with, his com- not, not with his tweets. Oh, like. I, I keep forgot about that. Yeah. Well, let's move on for him. But yeah. Um, <laughs> and of course, it goes on to this whole thing, which infuriates me about the whole Gerard debate. I mean, um, I will shout out my boy, Javan, who um, is on, was on a new podcast. Uh, he's just joined where they talk about football. And they did a debate about the top five British players in history. And the whole debate went back up again about, um, oh, Gerard can't be a nickel. He's not, he's not won any trophies. That comment, that whole thing about Gerald or any players like that, really, it'll be the same thing as Kane. It really infuriates me because at the end of the day, you can't base how player, how good a player was based on trophies because 
I've said this before, before I'll say it again. You can't you can't say that Anderson's better than Gerald when he's won more Premier League trophies. You just can't. So I think I think for me, trophies, yeah, they're good, but it's not like it's, it's not like it's you no know, golf or those the masses weekend the masses on the weekend. That's completely individual. So if you win a trophy, that's all down to you. But team sport is eleven players and a bit and his subs and his managers. So you can't base how good a player was based on trophies for me. It's one of my biggest pet peeves with football that people base how good a player was just based on what they want because at the end of the day that completely devalues anything about what, how they play. So for me, that's yeah, that's one of my big bug bearers. And anyone wants to challenge me on on DMs on Twitter, then please do. But that is a good place to end. And um, this has been the Eurotrips podcast for this week. Catch us next time for more chat about all things European football as things hot up. And we will by next week know who's in the semi-finals for the Champions League. So catch us then. I've been Andy. This has been Naeem. This has been Ryan. And we will see you next time.